Hello, you gorgeous beings. My name is Felicity Malay, and this is Fierce Gentle, the Courageous Voice podcast, where we reclaim voice, courage, and power through conversations and poetry. I want to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wandry people of the Kulin Nation, that this is and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello, you saucy juice boxes. <laughs> this is the Fierce Gentle Podcast. My name is Fleecy Malay, and this episode is an interview with the talented Fleur Watkins, who appeared in my life via season three of Lego Masters of All Things. This episode is a beautiful conversation that we had where we unpack the compete and compare mindset that so many women are brought up with. We also look at the importance of representation in mainstream media. Fleur was so kind in in sharing her unpacking of what it is to battle against stereotypes and push for better representation of women on TV, but also what whilst doing that, being in high-stakes environments. I mean, she had $100,000 on the line whilst also being in this reality TV show. Fleur is such an incredible and real soul, and I feel so honoured to have had this conversation with her, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. Great. Hello, hello. Hello. How are you doing, Fleur? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Um, when I when I saw when I decided to do the podcast, and I thought, who could I invite? And you came into my mind really early on, actually. And it almost seemed like um, this this like, oh, there's no way, there's no way someone that I don't know who I've just seen on TV is going to say yes to uh, doing this with me. And the fact that you did is a really yeah, it's really heartwarming and um, and affirming of the work that I do. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. I'm so flattered to be asked. And it honestly was a huge part of is because you are such an articulate woman and you're so um, brave in the way that you use your voice. And I mm-hmm. feel like that's a person that I want to be around. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did feel like when I when I wrote that post about I'll, I'll explain this to everyone listening in a moment, but I wrote a post about Fleur and um and when you responded it was like this I just feel this when I meet other women and other people who are so dedicated to raising up you know each especially women who are so dedicated to raising each other up and we're going to talk about this in a minute because this is one of the main reasons that I have you here. Um there is this, like, it's like a part of me kind of blossoms, like, ah, oh, yes, you. Aww. I want more of you in my life. I love so. that. I feel the same. I love that. Um, so I'm going to give a quick overview to people about how, and to you, about how I first discovered you and what it is that makes me want to talk to you a bit more in depth. And um, and then I'd love for you to give us a bit of an introduction. Actually, maybe you go first. You give me an introduction to yourself first, and then I'll give you my opinion. Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no pressure. Um, <laughs> all right. So, yeah, my name is Fleur. Um, I am 44, and I am a mum to a four-year-old boy who I adore. Um, but I guess I'm sort of best known these days as someone who is an adult fan of Lego, who um, reconnected with myself through the artistic medium of Lego bricks. So I got into that about two years ago and then 
unbelievably, um, found myself on Lego Masters Australia um, representing women, doing something that I really love and that made me feel really creative. And for me, it's been this pathway to reconnecting with who I am outside of just being a parent, which sounds a bit ridiculous because we are a whole person, but it's so easy to lose yourself um, in serving other people all the time and not serve yourself. Um, you talk about filling a cup and my cup was probably quite empty for a while because I just mm. wasn't putting any energy into myself. And bizarrely, it was Lego that connected me to the artistic person that I used to be. Um, and that's kind of where I am at in my life at the moment. I feel like a bit awakened with being a bit more complete within who I am. And it's opened me up to this whole beautiful community of amazing people who I feel like a great affinity with. So, mm. yeah. Oh, so good. And so that leads into how I then first came upon you. Um, so I, um, when we went into lockdown last year, my partner who has a huge, like, cache of Lego. He'd one that he's got the one he had one of those tubs, you know the tubs that people have. Yeah. So he had a tub. It's a tub of Lego. And um and he said to me, Oh look, I'd really like to watch there's this document he thought it was a documentary about Lego. It was called Lego Masters. I was like, okay. So he turned it on and it turned out to be reality TV. Heads up for anyone who's listening, I'm the kind of person who at 16 threw away my TV and never got a TV again. So watching reality TV wasn't part of my life since season one of Big Brother, basically. <laughs> that was like my <laughs> last reality TV. So coming coming in and watching um, watching Lego Masters, and I actually fell in love with it before he did. I think he was a bit dubious when he saw the kind of uh, the, the ha when he thought it was a documentary and it turned out to be what it was. Um, and I watched the first few seasons and we got we got the same feeling. You know, we got that like oh, reinvigoration of Lego. Rory, my partner, actually then got kind of, you know, you get a lockdown obsessions. For, for those of you who don't know, both Fleur and I are based in Melbourne. So we spent a lot of time in lockdown over the last couple of <laughs> um, last couple of years. And so he got a lockdown obsession with organizing Lego into like his own mini brick pit, basically. And through me and watching and supporting him with his Lego love and then us watching Lego Masters, I, you know, I fell in love with all the things that you talk about, that connection, that creativity, that playfulness. But I noticed, <laughs> I noticed in season one and then I noticed in season two that any women, there were only ever like one or two women in the competition and um, every basically women and non-white people were getting voted out within the first few rounds. Now, that is not a saying in any way that Lego Masters is misogynistic or racist, but for me it's a real, you know, it's a real um, statement on society, on the culture, on the culture that we have and what wins, what gets noticed. And what often gets noticed in our society is cis, straight, white men, quite often. So for me, I noticed this real you know, as someone who I identify as a gender-fluid woman. So for me, woman is a massive part of my identity. And I'm noticing that lack of women in Lego Masters was this kind of little thorn in my side as I was watching it because I loved it so much, but I felt this kind of resentment there as well, this kind of like anger. I, I, get, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got the fire in me, right? So then when you and Sarah and Gabby um, – and were there other women in that in season three as well? There was yeah, at the beginning, wasn't there? Amy and Jess and Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot, wasn't there? Yeah, 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 there was um, a lot. 
And I was really excited about that. I was really excited to see how many women were in season three. And, you know, as, as, as I watched, you and Sarah just absolutely, Sarah, that's her name. Isn't it, it is, it? Yes. <laughs> you, re- you jumped out at me because of this immense support that you had of each other the whole way through. I thought you were lifelong friends. Now, that's not true, is it? It's not. We met on the first day of filming. So we were paired together by production. Um, And, yeah, and it's so lovely hearing that from you because it was so important to us fundamentally to have each other's back from day one, even more so because we didn't know each other. So it was crucial to support each other. Otherwise, we would probably fall down in a heap, you know. Um, We felt really strongly about representing women. Um, It's a hobby or a pastime that is hugely male-dominated still. It's changing, which is great. And since the show, oh, my gosh, I've had so many female builders contact me, so many, so exciting, who have been inspired, who want to do it too. And, yeah, I think, you know, that was so important to Sarah and I to put a – to show that we – really cared about each other and that the most important thing was being supportive of each other, regardless of whether it was a great day at the office for us or a terrible day at the office for us. Um, because, it, you know, when you tear people down, it doesn't it doesn't serve anything. It doesn't improve a situation. It's so easy to just get angry if something goes wrong, but it's much more beneficial to take a deep breath and say, I'm, I've got your back here, it's okay, you know. So mm. we felt really strongly about that. Mm. Mm. And, it, it, I mean, you know, I've, I've had situations where I've, you know, met somebody and be, kind of got to be in like a team with them or a relationship with them or something and then we're like, you know, we've got each other's back, we're definitely, we're prioritising that. But it's a whole different thing to say that and then to have, you know, what is it, $100,000 or something on the line? $100,000, yeah. $100,000 on the line um, and high stakes, high emotion, high stress situations. And you had a few moments where, like, shit just fell apart at the last Oh, minute. yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so it's a whole different thing to do that in the moment. So what was that like for, the t- for you? in those moments when it wasn't just the theory of, yes, we've got each other's back, but the actual practice of it. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. It is actually really difficult in practice sometimes. You know, you'd like to say that you're a perfect human and it's easy to always be supportive, but, you know, in my background, in my work background, I was an event manager for 20 years and I am very much sort of someone who leads or someone who works by themselves. I'm very autonomous in the way that I work. So it's actually a huge challenge to then build with someone else and be creative with someone else even more so I think doing something artistic is often a solo thing and to go Mm -hmm. and be artistic and get on the same page with someone Sarah is such an artistic person I was so lucky she had great artistic vision she came up with amazing ideas so I was really really lucky that I landed with her um but you know, in practice, it is difficult when under that pressure, we were filming up to 13 hours a day, up to six days a week. We were away for three months, away from our children, away from our families. 
And there were days where you would just be like, this is so tough. And, and you'd be frustrated, with it, I'm sure, with each other. But it was interesting. You know, Sarah and I would talk a lot about the way that we communicate. And as women, we actually found that fundamentally we probably communicated differently in a kinder way sometimes to guys. Um, like Owen and Scott are a great example. They were... Um, lifelong friends and they were on the show together and if one of them didn't like the other's idea they would be like oh that really that's shit you know and, you, <laughs> and I would be like I would never say that to Sarah I would be like um could we think about a different way of approaching that you know I would color the language so that it wasn't brutal um but it was just interesting to note the different way that perhaps genders um communicate sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I think Sarah and I always had a soft approach. And at times, we probably would have benefited from being a little bit stronger with each other. Because mm. at times, we would be on the different pages, and it wasn't coming together smoothly. And we mm. didn't want to hurt each other and say, look, I don't really like where you're going with that. And and vice versa to me, I don't like what you're doing with that face, or I don't like your, what you're doing with that body or whatever. Um mm. And we were so conscious of being kind and supportive to each other that occasionally that probably bit us a little bit. But mm -hmm. I think in knowing that other people would see that through the screen, I think it's so important to set the example that you want because the audience of that show is largely sort of young people and children and I would hate for them to sit there and think, oh, it's okay to tell someone your work's rubbish or I hate what you're doing, you know. It's, mm. it's that there's more to it than just building Lego. It's being an example. So I took mm. that really seriously. And, um, you know, I think in the reality TV is such a big medium at the moment and it's such an interesting medium because it presents stereotypes that I don't fit into, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. It's the perfect teeth, the perfect hair, the perfect, you know, and that it's okay to be bitchy with people and all this sort of stuff. And I, and that's not who I am. And I just felt so strongly going in that I would be myself unashamedly and that I would represent a real human, an authentic human with flaws and not always making the right decisions, but owning what I said all the time. And mm. in owning what you say, you can say things with kindness and love and support. Even in moments of frustration, you can choose and it's about choosing to deliver in a positive way rather than choosing to tear someone down. Mm. Yes, yes, I got so many yeses in this. Um, <laughs> and my brain as you're talking was just firing in all these different directions. Um, I, this, and you know, just going off that last point, the choosing not to tear someone down is, I mean, on some level it's like, oh yeah, it's, it's a choice. It's just a choice. But on another level that is unpacking generations of, of, of like programming that we as women have had to rip each other down. Because I look at those shows with the how it's, it's okay to be bitchy. And, and I, I kind of, part of me just has compassion for people who are still dealing with or, or who are in a place where the, their reaction is to be bitchy because that's what they've been taught. That's what I was taught. I still do it sometimes. I still yeah. catch myself. And media continues it, you know, because it's this, like, high energy, high, it's like, um, gets high views, you know, and you have that kind of, like, really Absolutely. drama, drama attitude. But 
I, I guess what I want to focus on really is that it's not easy to choose not to do that because there is so much conditioning there. And when I watched you, I just, every time I saw those moments, I just, I could, or, or I could see all the work that has to happen to be able to say, okay, in that moment where Sarah turns to you and she goes, I just need to take this all apart. Or you go, I just need to take this apart. And the other one says, okay, all right, yes, do it. You know, and that is like, that okay has, you know, so much processing and and emotional regulation and emotional maturity and um, and self-understanding behind it to be able to go, Okay. Yes. Yeah. It speaks volumes about you and your perceptiveness that you recognize that a lot of people would see it and not see the layers of that, but that is a hundred percent what it is when someone makes a choice like that, because you're putting aside your knee jerk reactions sometimes to, Mm. to just take a breath. And it's such an important thing to learn and it can be used in so many facets of life, in your relationship, in your work, in your parenting, in your friendships. That choice can shape the way those are managed. Absolutely. And as you're talking, it reminds me because I feel like it's a great metaphor. Being on a team in Lego Masters is a great metaphor for all those other situations because I'm actually a hyper-reactive person. I get high anxiety. I get um, sensorial overwhelm really easily. Um, And so I I can be really reactive. And so it is really hard work for me not to do that. Um, But it, it does pay off. And the difference is when I remember that whoever I'm with is on the same team as me, if they are. And so yeah. I felt like you and Sarah the whole time were, you know, we're on the same team. And I'm going to call out a few Lego Master names here, which is probably not the first time these have been used as an example of this. But um, And I, I just want to say to both of these people, I think you're both awesome in your own unique ways. But the Bilzy Kale team, right, <laughs> <laughs> in season one, I think it was, season one. Now, you know, Kale is a really unique character and so self-involved in the way that he was thinking that it seemed like it wasn't we're on the same team. It was never we're on the same team. It was this is my team and even Bilzy's against me in this team. It was the kind of the, the attitude that I witnessed there. And I'm not, that's not to take down Kale. That's how I think a lot of us communicate when we're even in relationships, in families, in jobs. We, we put the people who are on our team as somehow our competition or somehow aren't on our, aren't there to support us. And it's something that I use a lot in my parenting and in my relationship with my partner is that we really affirm that we're on the same team. So when there's a challenge, we go, oh, hang on a minute. You know, um, a metaphor that came up with my partner was that it's like playing tug of war sometimes. It's like we're mm. playing tug of war with each other. Mm. But actually we're both on the same side of the rope and it's our demons that are on the other end. It's our, it's our negative habits. It's our trauma. It's all oh, the stuff wow. that we're dealing yeah. with that's on the other side of the rope. And... Um, so you just then talking was like this, this like ah, aha moment for me because, yeah, you you were on the same team and you acted like it. You actually acted like you were on the same team. Yeah. And I love that. And it's crucial because, you know, you could be the best builder in the world, which neither of us felt like we were, but you could be that and then not be in a constructive team and not be in a positive functioning team and it doesn't matter how talented you are, you're not going to win. And 
Kale and Bilzi are a really good example of that. I know them both personally quite well. Um, friends with both of them. They're not. They're not friends. Um, they're really both <laughs> very, very unique individuals. Kale's very quirky, and he's such a passionate person he's so artistic so talented but he'll tell you himself that he found that situation so difficult um to the point that he probably couldn't make those choices that would have made it a more positive experience for him and mm-hmm. you know he was nervous and under pressure as well and when you are nervous and under pressure sometimes your reactions are going to be the wrong ones or the least constructive ones because it's, it's just a lot, you know, and I think personality-wise those two did not gel. Um, and <laughs> it was like having two individuals rather than a team and Sarah and I were so conscious of that and wanting to just get the best out of each other all the time um, because mm-hmm. we knew we weren't the most technical team there. We were well, well aware of our flaws, um, but we knew that we brought something a little bit different and unique and also mm-hmm. a, a feminine flavour that was special because it was different. Um, mm. So we celebrated that all the time. And, and, you know, we also offset, we'd go out to dinner together every night and just bond with each other and just have time so we got to know mm. who we were, who our families were, what made us tick. And then we could recognise on the days that weren't good. And, you know, oh, my goodness, I'm so grateful to her. I, I actually lost one of my best friends during filming and I got a phone call at 11 o'clock the night before episode six filmed and that my friend had died and she's my age and it was horrendous and Sarah that next day it wasn't a great build for us it was a cut and a half build and it, it just wasn't flowing and but she just had my back the whole time she knew that that day was so hard for me to be there and to be artistic in any way I just I just wanted to fall in a heap and to be supported like that emotionally through that day like I will be forever grateful for her because I didn't even know how I could get from the next minute to the next minute you know and mm. just to feel so embraced and so loved and and, like, it didn't matter if I didn't do a perfect build that day. It didn't matter to her because what I was going through was more important. She actually said to me that morning, if you can't do this, if you can't go on, we can walk away. She mm. was prepared to give up $100,000, the chance of that, mm. because she knew that emotionally I was in such a bad space that day. And because she had my back to that degree, it meant I could go on. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I almost cried as you were talking then, so thank you. <laughs> because, and I think that's this is the other thing, right, that reality TV does exclude so often, which is what's going on behind the shots. So I'm really aware. I'm hyper aware. You know, I've come from theatre background like yourself. I yeah. went to a stage school. I did um, production. I understand filming. I understand editing. So I was fully aware when I watched season one that Kale's and, Kale and Bilzy, there was a, 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 an element of that that was editing, that was kind of character creation. That's mm-hmm. what editors are there to do. That's their yeah. job is to create characters, right? Absolutely. And so what, what often happens in that editing process is we don't get to see what's happening outside of those edits. We don't get to see what else is going on. Mm. So when you say things like that, you know, if I was to go back and watch that episode now, 
like what a what a gateway I've been given into that person who's there in that moment. Mm. Um, what a gift. And I think that, you know, and I always bring it back to like gender, but like <laughs> the, the patriarchy. But I think that when I think about social media and the way, and we were talking just before we started recording about, you know, if kids walk into the room during the recording and stuff, how normalized that has become because of COVID. But I think that the more we begin to show this stuff on platforms, so like on this podcast, but on our social media and, um, and the more it gets shown on TV, the more we understanding we can have. Yeah. It's, it's like this 3D. It's like we start to see people in 3D, whereas mm. at the moment we often treat each other like we're 2D, especially women, because that's how we've been taught. It's so true. It's so true. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because when that, was aired, you know, we, I mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this. We had a huge backlash on social media, Sarah and I. We got absolutely <laughs> slammed so much um, for lots of reasons. And I remember reading it that day and feeling so hurt and thinking, if these people who are sitting behind their keyboards just trashing me and trashing our build had any inkling of what the strength I had to have to get through that day of filming maybe they would just take a second and think about the words that they use and how damaging those words can be it's just yeah you only see facets of it and saying that I would say as a whole you know people always say oh watch for the edit and all that sort of stuff but as a whole I would say a hundred percent what you saw was me on that show Mm -hmm. like what's Mm -hmm. and all I mm-hmm. I don't have a filter. I'm a very open person. And mm-hmm. when I was really happy, I would clap and get excited. And when I was really sad, I'd cry. And, you know, mm-hmm. I am, I'm really grateful that the editors did just let me be myself. And there was never a time yeah. where they said to me, oh, could you word that a different way? Or could you, can mm-hmm. we say that again? Never. It, that's mm-hmm. what's the beautiful thing about that show is that in general, they aren't looking for villains. They aren't looking... Mm-hmm change who you are and so I felt you know when we were sort of torn apart on social media a fair bit and had dms of personal attacks and things I thought well you know what I was who I was and I'm not ashamed of who I am I don't have perfect teeth I don't have this body I, I but I don't care because I'm proud of the woman that I am and I'm proud to represent on television a, a person who's just a real human who you know flawed and all um, so you can tear me apart and that actually won't bring me down. Mm. Can we talk about that a little bit then? Yeah. That's like this, this internet, I mean, this is something that I think more and more people as they're, as more and more people explore what it is to have a personality on the internet, um, the more people are having to face this, whether that's cyberbullying or whether that's to the larger extremes, like what you've had to face, like backlashes of public yeah. appearances. Um, and, and women cop it more. Yeah, oh, we we were the only ones who copped it in our season, really. Almost, almost a hundred percent, the only people. Wow! And it was really shocking, like, because mm. it was every episode, and you would think, "Hang on, you're kidding me!" Like, you know, there were there were certainly builds where we were like, "Yeah, no, ours wasn't that great," but there were ones we were so proud of, and then people would get on. And it's fine to have an opinion about someone's art. Art is subjective. Some people love it, some people hate it, and that's fine. And that's the beauty of art is that in every person's eyes it holds different value. But 
to tear people's appearance down, their personality down, their bodies down, mm. it's not acceptable. And unfortunately, it's a culture that has gone alongside reality television that it's okay to jump online and absolutely just tear someone to shreds who you don't know from a bar of soap. And mm. personally, I would never ever do it. Like we're all guilty of thinking things in our head. We cannot say we're perfect. We all have moments where we think things that maybe are, are not kind. But to do that in such a public way, knowing that I would read it, my family would read it, my mother would read it, my mum was in tears, you know, my mum would mm. ring me and like, I just want this over and I would be, it's so hard because you're trying to compartmentalise saying this has been the best experience of my life but here you are making it so awful today, something mm. I'm so proud of, um, mm. talking about, you know, just things that are so personal. And the thing that was horrifying is that some of these were parents, were women, were teachers, mm. were mm. law enforcement officers. I mean, it was like the, the range of people. It was mind-blowing. I would, And I couldn't have a voice because for various reasons, because of contractual things, but also just because when you have a voice in those situations, you're giving them oxygen and you don't want to do that. But at the mm. same time, you know, there were a couple of times where I just like, I can't deal with it. I'm going to, and I got on and I was like, just be mindful of the words that you choose. Those words stay mm. there. They're online forever. And those mm. words are hurtful and they're so unnecessary and I think a lot of the times they come from people being um, intimidated by a woman who is confident in herself and who owns who she is and that's intimidating because we're supposed to be these timid people who don't have a voice who don't have a personality mm. and it's mm. sad that we're in a society where that's still a thing you would think that mm. we'd be more progressive than that but we're not. No, we're not. We're not. We're you absolutely know? not more crazy than that. Yeah. I'm so glad you took it to that because that's something that, um, you know, I keeps come up in this conversation in my mind a few times, which is this idea of the backlash towards women and femme presenting people, actually, um, who, it's, uh, who sh show confidence and strength yeah. and who don't fit, you know, the, the kind of, there's like three stereotypes that we're allowed to be, right? There's like the mother, there's the whore, and then there's the kind of like, um, like the strict, strict teachery kind of thing. There's like some strict stereotypes yeah, yeah, that we yeah, can yeah. fit in, and we're allowed to be those. You can be those, but if you merge between them, uh, if you if you sit in the grey spaces, if you sit in all of them, if you sit in none of them, it's like. Uh, yeah, we, we, we get ripped, it's, it's intimidating and we get ripped down for it. Yeah. And it's bullshit. <laughs> it's totally it, bullshit. It is bullshit. It totally is. It's, it's and hugged. when, yeah. at the beginning when I said that you, um, that, that, that having you say yes to doing this was like a blossoming feeling in me, yeah, it took me a long time to get to that with strong women. Mm. Um, there was mm. a lot of my life where I would meet another woman who was strong in some way. That's not to say perfect. Can I just clarify to everybody when I talk about strong women, I'm not talking about, oh, she's so perfect. I mean, yeah. women who are just being themselves, who are being mm -hmm. themselves 
And what happens is it feels like butting heads. I meet them and then there's this weird, like we can't sit together and there's this like butting head thing that happens, right? Yeah. And I have a vivid memory of being in my early 20s, like 23, I think, and I noticed it and I sat down with that person. I said, I just want you to know that I feel like when we see each other, we do this. And for those who can't see the video, I'm like punching my fist together. But what I think that means is that we're actually like, it means that you're a really amazing woman and something in me doesn't like that. And what that gives us, and I, and I think that what we could be is this, which is where like, for those who can't see the video, I'm linking my hands together, like holding hands. Like there's, yeah. It's like when, I, when I'm able to acknowledge in myself that my resistance and my dislike, my instant dislike or distaste towards a woman is often because I'm impressed by them because I think they're awesome. Yeah. And I don't know how to deal with that. And so I get like my hunches up and I want to like battle against them as mm. this could, because we're taught to compete and compare and rip each other down. As oh women. my gosh. It's so true. It's something that's been so present in my career in event management. Event management is hugely female dominated, hugely. And a lot of strong women and how many heads I've butted with over my time where I just wanted to learn from them. But there was this thing that they would look at me as someone who might threaten their role because I was strong too and because I was, Mm -hmm. you know, worked very hard to get good at what I did. And I thought, I came to a point as I got older where I thought, isn't it a shame that we don't just celebrate the fact that you could potentially take my job? We should say, that's so wonderful that you have the qualities that you could do my job and you aspire to be like me. Um, Mm -hmm. But instead we get threatened And part of that is because we have to work so hard to get into those roles in the first place and feel we deserve those roles, you know, because we have a history of being in a in a subservient role. So Absolutely. And I I did a talk for a group in Las Vegas once that was a, a group of women that work in big data and and kind of um, and that kind of tech and big data and this group had been put together specifically for the women to support each other because in that industry if a man makes it to the top he reaches down and he pulls all his brothers up with him right mm. whereas mm. it was proven through you know research and statistics that when women made their way to the top they did not do that and they didn't do that because they were already risking everything by being a woman at the top and if they were to be seen to be bringing other women up with them that there was this risk that that would lose them everything and so yeah. it's it's so deeply ingrained that compete and compare and i really yeah want to emphasize when i talk about that i don't believe it is the fault of genders. I don't believe it's the fault of women or the fault of men, really. It's how uh, it's, it's, it is a symptom of a patriarchal society, of a society that was create power, power roles. Yeah, absolutely. And even as a parent, you know, I've seen it time and time again, mothers judging each other, tearing each other down. Oh, your child doesn't do this. So your child should be like this. Oh, I'm such a wonderful parent. Oh, I don't like the way that you do that. And I just think, oh, wow, could we not just support each other? Um, I, in another little role I have, I'm president of my local playgroup. And I'm constantly saying to parents, when they say to me, oh, my child hasn't spoken yet in there too, don't compare your children to other children. It doesn't matter. 
don't need to hit all these goalposts. It's not, it's not about that. And just show them love and support and they feel better because we are so worried about everything that we do. I mean, even as a parent, it's interesting. When I went on Lego Masters, someone said to me, how wonderful that you gave yourself permission to go away from your child and do that. And they were right. To a degree, they were right because I did have to give myself permission. It's hard to take the like the responsibility that I have to my son and, and to the time that I give to him as a full-time mum at the moment to go away for three months. I did have to give myself permission. But in the same breath, I thought I shouldn't have to give myself permission because I serve people all the time. I serve my husband. I serve my child. How often do I serve myself? I don't serve mm -hmm. myself very often. So while I appreciated that they came from a beautiful place and saying, you know, you give yourself permission, and I agree with that, in, in another way, why should we have to give ourselves permission to do something for ourselves? Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And and the expectations in society of women versus men is very different in the parenting roles. Oh, yeah. And or let's say that differently of the birthing parent versus the non-birthing parent. The, the 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 role expectations very, very different. I think it's also women and men, but I think um, it goes deeper when it's birthing parent versus non-birthing parent. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, I wonder if anyone has turned around to some of the guys in Lego Masters and said, wow, you had to go away from your um, from your kid. Congrats, well done for giving yourself permission to do that. It's probably more like, like, oh, that must be hard for your family to be without you. That's exactly but, what they said. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what they said. And you, you hit the nail on the head there about the birthing person because by in birthing a child, we're giving to our child in the biggest way. We give to them for nine months of growing them. We give to them. And from then the day they arrive, we are giving all the time. We don't receive anywhere near as much as we give. And it's just our nature to do that. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, you're 100% right. I mean, they certainly, people did say, you know, it's, and it was really hard for the guys who were away from their kids. You know, they have dear friends of mine and they did really struggle with it. But I definitely don't think they got told, oh, how lovely that you gave yourself permission. Um, it's just an interesting, interesting thing, isn't it, that, that that's, we are still in that space. In society. Absolutely. And I think yeah. it's, uh, unfortunately, I think it's going to take a long time to unpack it because it's so deeply ingrained in, it's just in language. Like the person who said that to you probably didn't realise they said something different to what they would have said to a guy. It's no. just, it's a subtle change of, of words and a subtle change of language and a subtle meaning behind it. But it actually does so much because you're right. We give so much. We give away ourselves. Um, we give our body, we give away our body. Our body is never the same body as it was pre-pregnancy. No, it's not. Um, our, our hormones, so our emotions, our reactions, our responses, all of it changes mm. after going through pregnancy, whether we've gone full term or not, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and th I don't think that's something that's really acknowledged in society enough. I've been having conversations recently about um, this idea about being hormonal. I'm using my little air, my little air quotes, <laughs> kind of hormonal, and how like if a woman experiences big emotions and it, she's premenstrual, then it's put aside as oh you're just it's it's hormonal, and therefore somehow that that it uh, erases it from having validity. It makes it invalid, and somehow we should be able to deal with it better because it's just hormonal. But I feel like there's a complete lack of acknowledgement that every single emotion comes from hormones. 
Yeah. That there is no difference between hormone, period hormones and other hormones. Like, I mean, they're different hormones, but the, the emotions come from the hormones. Yeah. And so we can't feel when we're having big feelings. It can't be like, oh, these aren't the real feelings because they are real feelings. Mm. They're absolutely real feelings. They come from hormones. And I feel like this is something that uh, I want to really start to unpack in my personal life and with my friends and the women around me is really celebrating and acknowledging the validity of hormonal responses. So whether that's, you know, because of going through perimenopause or menopause, whether that's through menstruation, whether that's through going through men up, whatever it is that's causing big feelings, they're big feelings. They're not yeah, they fake. Are. That is such an important thing for me to hear because I tell you, my whole adult life, if I've been like premenstrual and angry, <laughs> I mm. have tried to keep a lid on that because I don't mm. want it to be blamed on that. I've consciously thought about that so many times and thought, oh, mm. I don't want my husband to say, well, you're just hormonal. Um, but, yeah, I do have lots of feelings and emotion and it does come from hormones and that's just a, a fact of it and I shouldn't feel bad about it. And, mm. yeah, but it's such an interesting thing that I have literally consciously chosen to sometimes not express myself just gone into a room and, and being like oh you know mm -hmm. I don't I won't show him in case he thinks oh she's just a hormonal woman it's, mm. it's another funny thing yeah. yeah, and I, I'm kind of the opposite. I do, I, I do the big, I do the big emotions, and <laughs> then I'm like, and by the way, I'm not premenstrual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I um, literally am on the verge of perimenopause at the moment at 44, so I can just say well, I'm going to be just a raging nightmare for 10 years and you're just going to have fucking deal with it. <laughs> yeah. And I think, again, there's this, oh, that speaks to me. I went to see my doctor who my doctor is normally really lovely. I'm very fussy about what doctors I go to, but I've been dealing with over, especially over last year, being in lockdown, a lot of anxiety and stuff came up and it was looking like, and I still haven't been fully diagnosed, but maybe PMDD, so premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which means like hyper reactive emotions in that mm -hmm. premenstrual phase. Mm -hmm. And my doctor turned to me and we were talking about it. And he just said as like a, I mean, we joke with each other a lot, but I, I think he was under a lot of stress and pressure and didn't realize how impactful his words would be. And he went, oh my God, you're going to be a nightmare when you go through your menopause. And it's like, there was no offer of, of, okay, it's going to be really difficult for you. Yeah. It's, it's like you're going to be a nightmare for other people when you go through your menopause. And we forget, it's like the social commentary isn't on, wow, that must be really hard for you. It's going to be really difficult for you when you go through menopause yeah. because your emotions are going to be going everywhere. It's like, wow, other people are going to really struggle. Yeah, it's like, oh, other people, yeah. are they? Yeah. Other people are going to be struggling. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Lockdown was super hard for me too. I am. Um, and doing Lego Masters was really interesting because it unlocked a part of me that had been uh, dormant for a long time of how social I was. Um, I had spent so much time in the roles that I have in my life that I wasn't very social. And in lockdown, we had uh, a whole lot of other stuff going on in my family. My father-in-law had brain cancer through lockdown and he 
died and we were looking after him and I was just sort of in that role of look, being up, looking after everybody. And then I did the show and was three months with all these creative people and felt like a different me, like the me I used to be when I was in theatre and I, I felt so awakened and so happy. And then I found the subsequent lockdown so difficult because I literally sit in my house and feel like there's part of me missing because I'm not around people and I'm not around creative people. And I'm, I'm building Lego and I'm so grateful for that. But I found it it's so much harder than I thought I would because I am a strong person and a resilient person. But now that I've unlocked that side of my personality that loves to be around people, I've felt really trapped. And, yeah, definitely the last couple of lockdowns I, I've struggled and, and my emotions have been very heightened as a result and my temper has been a lot shorter. And I um, I've found it little things frustrate me so much faster and it's it's interesting isn't it it's it's been a, a whirlwind yeah i think that this um the state of the world right now the state of lockdowns the state of um never knowing what's going to happen and i think that that puts a lot of emotional stress on everybody mm. right and, so it does and you're right like our tempers get shorter over time um and the longer that we're carrying it. I saw this great, uh, like a meme post thing that went around. I don't know what the term is, an infographic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's this picture of this person walking along and they've got this huge boulder on their back and it's a little, little cartoon and the boulder just says trauma. And they're like happy and walking along and they're like dealing with, they're carrying their trauma along, that's fine. And then um, on top of the trauma comes like this, uh, like another layer of like uh, everyday stress. And they look a little bit like, uh, a little bit like they're carrying a weight. And then on top of that one comes like a pandemic and they're doing fine. They're doing okay, but they're like carrying this pandemic and their own trauma and their everyday stresses. And then there's this tiny little step they have to go up. And that tiny little step is called like minor inconvenience, right? And they get to the minor inconvenience and everything falls apart. And, and it's, and I think for me that really laid it out really well for me is that we, and it goes back to what we talked about during that episode where you were dealing with grief is that what is a difficult step for someone to go up for one person might be heaps more difficult or heaps less difficult for someone else, just depending on what they're carrying that day oh, yes. and how much we're carrying. And I think this, I'm really hoping that this journey with COVID, with lockdowns and this rising communication around mental health that's come with that also brings in this idea of actually like deep compassion for each other yeah. in those moments. Oh, I, I agree so much. Um, I feel so passionately about mental health. Uh, I've faced huge resilience in my life. I'm um, so it's huge. Uh, tests in my life that have made me resilient. Um, I lost my twin when I was 20 and I understand grief in a, in a very deep way. I've lost so many people, so many people, mm -hmm. so many very close people. And I watch other people dealing with grief or anxiety and, and I am so compelled to put my arms around them and, and say, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through it because you do. But that's such a relevant point about sometimes it's the tiniest little thing that can just push you over the edge and someone might look at your reaction and think, well, that was a big reaction over a small thing and what they don't see is what's inside here or people dealing with depression and mental health that they've got this whole 
black cloud inside them and it's pushed and pushed and pushed and then there's that one little thing that pushes them over the edge and we're not party to what's inside them at the time, what's in their mind, what's in their heart. And as someone who's been through that dark place and come out the other side to light, I have so much empathy for for what people are experiencing in the world right now and how damaging it can be for people who have struggles with mental health who are isolated at the moment in that mm. because that makes that so much bigger for them. That's It's really frightening, actually, and it is something I, I'm only one person and I don't know how much difference I can make, but if I could make it to one person, I would feel good, you know. Well, I yeah. saw you do that in the last lockdown. I saw you step forward on uh, Instagram and you offered anyone with kids who are struggling with going into lockdown who that you said something like, that you would send them a personal message? What was it that you Yeah, offered? I did a little video message to their kids just to tell them it was okay, you know, to, it was okay if they're struggling through lockdown, but I was here and I really hope they enjoyed the show and that they're building lots of Lego and things because, yeah. you know, kids do get really happy by things like that and that mm. did make a difference to a few people, which was nice. But, um, yeah, I think it's always just being aware of people, whether they're people that you know or they're strangers um, that you're associated mm-hmm. with through social media, being aware of the cries for help that people sometimes, sometimes they're quite um, covered. Sometimes people will have a cry for help that's not so obvious, but it's looking for that mm-hmm. and just touching base and saying, Are you okay? And I've done that recently with a few people who I don't personally know, but I've seen something that's concerned me and and we've then had communication and I know that it's made a difference. And I just think we as humans should always try and be aware of people around us and that sometimes just an are you okay can make a huge, huge difference in someone's life. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Um, we've got about 15 minutes left of our chat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sad face. Um, <laughs> You're so easy uh, to talk to. Oh, good. I'm glad. That makes me sure. That makes me sure. Um, yeah, warm feelings. I, uh, you mentioned something. So I'm going to, uh, I love talking about myself. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm a double Gemini. And you mentioned something before we started about my prosopagnosia and a situation that you had recently. And it sounded like you had a story that you wanted to tell. And I would love to um, transition into an opportunity to tell that story. So what I might do is explain to everybody what prosopagnosia yes, is. Yes, please do. Um, and then I'd love to hear this story that you didn't tell me before, but I'm super interested in. Sure. So I have a condition. It's commonly known as face blindness, and it means that I can see faces. I just don't always recognize them um, and link them to the person, the emotive experience of a, of a human is the way that I would put it together. So I can see a face, but I can't link that to a personality. Um, and that's not with every face, but it's about 80% of faces for me. Um, and other people have Dr. Carl is probably the most famous person that I know that has it as well. Oh, wow. um, I know, yeah, apparently, yeah. So anyway, so he has it. And more and more people are appearing in my life, but I did a TEDx talk about it a couple of years ago and you watched that recently, you said. I did. I did. I watched that and it was so fascinating because until very recently I had not heard of that condition, didn't know it existed. But uh, about a month ago I was at Brexpo in Adelaide, which is a Lego convention, and a lady who was exhibiting um, with her daughter, her daughter's name was Lauren, and the lady came up to me and said, I need you to meet Lauren. And I said, okay, yep, cool. And I came over to Lauren and she said, oh, you're really special in our lives, Fleur. 
because Lauren has a condition about facial blindness and she never watches TV because of it. But she loves Lego. And when she watched Lego Masters, she said to mum, me, I have to watch it, mum, because the girl with the red lips, I can see her and I, I, I know she's a good soul. And mm. I started crying because this girl, Lauren, is the most amazing Lego builder. Um, she has a lot of other uh, conditions which she has to deal with. She's uh, pretty much nonverbal um, and she has lots of challenges. But the fact that my red lipstick, which other people on social media had torn me apart for, was the thing that connected her to me and that every mm. night she would watch it to connect to me through that and that was how she could see me. It felt so special and it was so interesting listening to your TEDx talk because it gave me a greater understanding of the condition because I was really confused when I was having this chat with her mother. I was like, I've never heard of this. Is this even a thing? And um, and also the way you talked about masks um, because a lot of people look at me because I wear makeup every day. It's For me, it's an artistic expression and it always has been. I've just always liked that sort of, 50s rockabilly look of makeup and it isn't a mask for me it's just you know, a way of expressing for me putting on a mask and you talked about it so well is about um hiding who you really are and mm. I think you can still wear makeup but be an authentic person and I really hoped that you know in the show that that was what came across but I thought how lovely that my red lipstick that has a personal meaning to me actually transcended this condition and mm -hmm. it became a way that she connected to me but then because she didn't see my face or recognize my face she recognized aspects of my personality that she felt drawn to and even though she couldn't verbalize that to me she took my hand at this exhibition and I just felt really special and I felt like if nothing else came out of that experience, the fact that I connected to one person who had an affinity with who I was on a deeper level than just what I was building or just that I was on TV, it was really magical. So to then mm. see that you had the same condition because <clears> I felt a natural, you know, in the communications that we've had online, I've just felt drawn to who you are and I haven't been able to explain what that is it's just mm -hmm. sometimes you just think oh that's a person who just engages me I just want to know more about her I've since watched lots of your poetry and the way that you use your voice in such a dynamic strong powerful way and the messages that some of the messages that you give that I don't know if I'm even brave enough to give and I'm inspired by that and it makes it, I hold you up on a pedestal as someone who is being a voice in the way that I hope I can be. So um, mm. I've, I really loved that there was that little just strange connection there and watching yeah. that TEDx talk open that to me and I just thought how, how special is that? Yeah, beautiful. Can I, I'd love to speak into that, actually. Um, yeah. Firstly, thank you for that beautiful, saying those beautiful things. Because for me, like, I do struggle to say some of the things I say. Absolutely. And there are heaps of things that I don't talk about. But the thing, when I do have the space and the capacity to say them, and the fact that I think I have created an online community 
that are very supportive. I don't get many haters. I yeah. rarely ever get a hater. Um, and I've got, you know, on Instagram there's only 6,000 or something people there, but on Facebook that's 20,000 people. And wow. to have 20,000 people follow me and not have haters in there is a really, I feel so deeply grateful to those people. Um, and it, it does give me a sense of safety to be able to share things. So the fact that I have that platform means that I feel an obligation to use it when I have the mental capacity mm. to do so and emotional capacity to do so, right? But talking back into the red lipstick thing, because that's the thing for me, right? So if I was to see you on the street, just so we would pass each other and you weren't wearing your red lipstick, I wouldn't recognize you. So your red lipstick would be a, and it's like an anchor point that I can attach a memory to mm-hmm. um, or, a, or a recollection. It's not like a memory, it's more like a, a recollection. And different people have them. Some people have like a piece of jewelry that I've noticed when I was talking to them once. And next time I see them, they'll talk to me and I'll be like scanning their face, not knowing who the hell they are. And then my eyes will fall upon their necklace and I focus in on the necklace. And then I focus, then it's like my focus comes back out from the necklace and I see the space around the necklace last time I noticed it and I can be like oh that was at that festival and I was sat there talking to oh that's who this person is um and I have a friend who wears really really bright lipstick she has a similar ghost a similar it's not quite rockabilly but dark hair a really like snowy skin and this bright red lipstick and for like she's a big part of my local community of in Melbourne and for the first four or five years, the only way I knew who she was was because of her lipstick. And she knows that now. Whenever I see her, she's like, she's like, lipstick. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that's, my, that's my way of knowing you. Um, and it's, it's like a really beautiful visual cue for me to help to re- remember people. And there is this specialness that you talk about that feeling of, of, of specialness when that, when she recognized, she had that capacity to recognize you. There is very occasionally people who I haven't seen for I've met once in my entire life and then it's been a decade since I've met them and I will see them and I'll know exactly who they are. Wow. And there's no rhyme or reason for why that person. It's not like a particularly special connection. Once it was a guy that I met at the Didgeridoo Festival in France and he was an Aussie guy and he just, I think he just had a unique face to me. To me it was a unique face, right? And then literally probably almost 10 years later I was at Confest in Australia and he was there and I saw him and I was like, I know you. I met you at this festival. My friends looked at me like, well, how the fuck did you know him? Like, you don't even know me. <laughs> that is amazing. They must have just been like, um, sorry, how is he more special than us? I'm in your life yeah. every day. And that is amazing. Absolutely. And so those little moments, and I, and I had a feeling that people would, you know, when I heard you talking about people picking apart your aesthetic and how you show up and I was like I know I know the kind of things they're going to focus on they're going to focus on the fact you wear makeup they're going to focus on your body shape they're going to focus on the the way you speak you know this is the kind of things that women get pulled apart for but um I agree with you I I use makeup I don't wear it every day but I do I love makeup I love dress ups and I do I do really over the top makeup actually when I do it and I think you're right. It's, that's not the mask. The social story is, oh, women wearing these masks, forgetting that the reason women started to wear makeup a lot of the time was through social pressures of the patriarchy. The fact that the, the idea of makeup as a day-to-day mm. was so linked to the social pressures of hierarchy, patriarchy and worth that, that, that it's understandable if women do feel like they need to wear it for that reason because we are in a society that basically rips the shit out of them if they don't. Totally true. The flip side of that is why can't you wear it for you? 
I'm not wearing it for someone else. I'm not wearing it for some man thinks I look attractive. I'm wearing it for me. And yeah, yeah, why can't we do that? (laughs) And this is the dichotomy of, you know, I keep saying patriarchal society, this is the dichotomy of a society like this is that if we do it, we're damned, and if we don't, we're damned, right? So the women right. who don't wear makeup get pulled apart for not being pretty enough, and then if we wear makeup for our, if we wear makeup, whether it's for ourselves or not, we get pulled apart for wearing too much makeup and not being genuine enough. And if we wear it because we enjoy it, that's not even acknowledged. It's yeah. not even acknowledged as a possibility. It's so true. It's so true. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So you just have to live your truth, and you just have to be who you are and love who you are and really take what other people say as nothing because it doesn't mean anything. It's no. your self-worth comes from you. And it, it, it has to. It has to. For and you to be successful in your life, your self-worth has to come from you. Absolutely. And when we get those, and I want to speak this kind of for everybody who's putting themselves out on the internet now because there are moments that you'll get haters. I say I don't have haters. When I did my TEDx, I had the same thing as you. I got a lot of people focusing on what I was wearing, on my hair. Oh, people comparing me to, oh, thanks. <laughs> it was, someone said something about like, oh, what are they? Like um, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and Michael Jackson had a, had a love child. And I was like, yeah, I'll yeah. be that love child. Like, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's meant to be an insult, but I'm like, whatever, because what I have to remember in those moments when I read those voices, when I read those comments, is that we're all carrying all the fucking bullshit that we've been fed. And some people have been given the privilege and the space and the education and the opportunity to be able to unpack that and yeah, start to move out of it. And yeah. and not, But not everybody is given all the light, what what has, has had whatever it is that they need to be able to understand that yeah. and to be able to understand that with love and compassion. Maybe they're in high-stress jobs. Maybe they're in, you know, maybe they haven't had the kind of education, access to education that I've had or whatever it is that means that, or maybe they're just in a place of fucking pain themselves. Yeah, and they lacking need to, self-worth. To lash out, yep. you know. And so when I read those posts, I've tried so hard to read them and go, okay, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I hope you're okay. Kind yeah. of in my heart. I didn't reply in that way, but I'm like, I hope you're okay. Yeah. Because if I, I have to take it more as them, we have to take it, we have to take it more as them than us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you are incredible. Thank you. So are you. So you, I knew you would be, but um, it's just, yeah, you're, you're a very inspiring person and I'm so pleased that you're doing this podcast and, and another way of sharing your voice because I think it's a very important voice to share. It really is. And just being your authentic self and being brave, that is setting an example for women that needs to be set, needs to be set. Mm. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, Before we close up, you, speaking of celebrating and um, supporting and encouraging, I know that you are setting up a new business 
at the moment, Bricks and Sips, which I think is really fun. And I wanted to book in and then uh, lockdown and stuff happened. So we didn't get to book in for your first one, which will have happened by the time this podcast goes live. But um, tell us a bit about Bricks and Sips. Yeah, so I've set up a little business, Bricks and Sips, which is basically similar to the Cork and Canvas concept where you go along and have a glass of wine and do some art. But for this Lego Bricks of the Artistic Medium, I am um, just really wanted to do something. Look, to be honest, largely my audience probably will be women. I have got one man booked for my first one, but um, when power to him. I'm so pleased about that. But I think I probably have connected a little bit more to women who would like to come along and just have a bit of banter, be creative, don't have to be an expert at all, just come along with an open mind, an open heart and a good sense of humour just to have fun and do something social and celebrate being creative. So that's the vision behind my little business and I'm hoping it takes off. It's something I feel really passionate about and it's a nice way of building on on the experience of Lego Masters but taking it into something that probably sits a little bit more comfortably with me than maybe teaching children, just, just where I can connect with my peers a little bit and also feed that social side of myself so yeah that's my little business beautiful and is it um whereabouts are are the events that happening so we're starting at club mandalay in beverage um but we are also looking at a venue called the bait shop by expressionist in the city i went to an amazing drag show there a few weeks ago and with some friends of mine who were the drag performers are just the best and it turns out that the owners of that space and that restaurant which is also an art gallery are massive lego fans it's just one of those crazy moments where they're like we should do the workshops here and and it's so perfect because to be in a space where they're really welcoming and they're really positive and creative people but who are also very open-minded it just sat very well with me it seemed like a good marriage of um of my business in a space so um yeah i think we will start up there quite soon as well Awesome. Well, I'm likely to come to that one because I love going to queer spaces and being creative. So knowing that they do drag shows makes it even yummier for me. Um, So if people want to know about that, I'm going to have links to all of Fleur's stuff in the show notes. So check out the show notes and follow Fleur on Instagram as well, because it's just beautiful. Um, the, The kind of content that I see from you, just to give an overview for people listening, is like, Lego, um, <laughs> lots, of, lots of Lego and parenting and like reality of parenting. There's yeah. some beautiful, cute moments and there's some like moments of, you know, you share, you share your hard stuff, hard moments as well. And yeah, I really absolutely. like that and appreciate that. So check out Fleur on Instagram as well. And thank you so much for being here on thank the show you. with me. I've loved it. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody, I will see you on the next episode. You're all awesome. Uh, speak to you later. You've been listening to Fierce, Gentle, The Courageous Voice podcast, hosted by myself, Fleecy Malay, and music and editing done by Rory McDougall. If there's anything you've heard in this podcast that you like the idea of, check out the show notes below for links. And if you want to see this podcast continuing, please consider joining me over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Fleecy.